here with you today, and uh, we just believe that God has put um, just a special word on our hearts for our community and the world beyond, just like as he's been faithful to continue to do each week. We're continuing in our uh, message uh, series, A Church Like Jesus. What does that look like? We know that a church like Jesus always starts with the individual uh, looking and being and living like Jesus first, and then it moves out to the collective. And so today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And so um, what we realized, uh, especially in this passage as we walk through it, is that a church like Jesus means there is work for us to do collectively. Again, to experience the fullness of, of Christ and of Jesus both within us and through us. Uh, we have been called to be people that are transformed by God from the inside out. It requires deep transformation that goes uh, beyond the surface level as we often talk about, transforms our lives individually, and then it moves out to uh, the collective body of Christ. And um, in our, our, the the presence and the state of our world, uh, where we're in right now, we need this truth like never before. And so we pray that you're encouraged this morning. We are encouraged this in, in this message. I found myself, I told Brad uh, earlier this week, I found myself often asking the question of God, where is the hope? God, where, you know, when you look at the world around us, it's not just because times are hard right now. Honestly, in some ways, I look at uh, the state of the church and I, I look at the state of the body of Christ and um, I just think, where's the hope, God? What are you doing in the midst of this? But we are reminded in Ephesians over and over again that God is the God of the impossible, uh, that he works in and through us, um, and he calls us to unity and reconciliation. And that is one of the things that we're looking at today. So where is the hope? The hope is found in Jesus Christ and working through our lives and in the body of Christ. And so we're excited to share with you today. And in this passage we're going to look at today, Paul talks about this idea of alienation, the separation between people, kind of an attitude of exclusivity. And as I was reflecting on preparing the sermon, I was reminded of a, a funny moment that our family experienced just this last week. We were at a beach and we had been there and enjoyed the beach. It's kind of a long beach spread out, you know, only a few people out there. And um, we had this moment later in the day where our, our kids wanted to climb up on the empty lifeguard stand and take a picture. And so we said, okay, and they run a little ways down the beach and they climb up on the stand and we take the picture. And then after we take the photo, I'm looking at it and I realize that um, in that portion of the beach where the lifeguard stand was, it said underneath, on, like all written on the lifeguard stand, private beach. And then in this photo right behind it, it says private beach, um, public, The how do, I wrote it down because I thought it was so funny, private beach, public may pass at the waterline. And it was just this moment where I'm like, who gets to own the beach? Like it was apparently this private beach club and this little part of the sand they owned and made it very exclusive. And so the public can only pass by if they walk down at the water line away from everyone else. And we were like, oh, I, we didn't know. <laughs> It was a funny moment, but this attitude of exclusivity, it's, it's something that um, even in our, our culture that um, almost is like a commodity. You'll, you'll see it even in marketing where if you buy this thing, if you have this thing, somehow you're, you're separate, you're set apart, you're somehow above or more special. We see it even if you think about the diamond industry, and there's been all these stories about the history of, of diamonds and where they come from. But if you think about it, diamonds are actually, they're considered a very valuable jewel, a diamond is, but they're actually not that rare. They're very, very common. But the diamond industry has found a way to be able to sell exclusivity by holding back diamonds and controlling the market. And so there's this attitude of like, if I have 
then somehow I've been given a special place of, of um, privilege and, and being exclusive and set apart. And I think it really reflects something of even just our, our human nature, you know, that we want to categorize people so that then we can measure where do I stand compared to them? Am I above? Am I below? And it somehow gives us this reflection of um, our standing in society by what we have or who we are, where we come from. Uh, in, and then obviously we've seen even presently in the conversations about around race and prejudice how there's this measuring of ourselves against other people in value and worth. And this is still something that is not, it's not just a, a modern day issue. It has been since the beginning of time, this attitude of separation. And so in this passage we're going to look at today, that's one of the things that Paul is naming is this, this division that existed between Jews and Gentiles and this coming back together. And so there are three things we want to draw out of this, this next section of scripture in chapter two. And we're going to kind of put them in three categories or three ideas. Um, number one, you can write these down if you're taking notes, is just number one, Paul describes what we once were, and then number two, he describes what Jesus has done, and then lastly, we're going to look at what we have now become. And so there's a progression of this, but let's look um, at uh, number one, the, the idea of what we once were. This is picking up Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse 11, what we once were. Paul writes these words, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Now, part of what Paul is describing here, and it's, you know, like many of the churches that Paul is writing to, but he's writing here specifically to Ephesus, and he's naming this, this diverse group of people that existed where there was the Jews, the ones who had known Yahweh as their God, and then kind of the everyone else. And in their day and time, it basically got named as the Gentiles. And it was just kind of the group categorization of anybody who was not Jewish. And so we see what Paul's writing here in this letter is, is for, for everyone. He's saying both Jews and Gentiles. He's wanting to make sure that you all understand this is for everyone, but he's naming something here of, of race relations, this um, interaction of, of two different cultures and how they were going to relate to one another within the unity and the body of Christ. And so he, he specifically names the Gentiles here, and it's kind of like he's, he's calling them out specifically, knowing the Jewish um, members of the, the church, the body of Christ, would be listening as well. And he's saying, hey, you Gentiles, I, I want you to understand and recognize both where you were and where you have come from, but where you are now. And, and so for so long, um, and he, he's kind of touching on a, a, a sensitive spot in this relationship between Jew and Gentile, because for so long, the Jewish people had discriminated against the Gentiles, against the ones who were not Jewish by faith. And so they were really regarded within the Jewish society of measuring of things as like second-class citizens. They were, they were outsiders. And now there's a lot, if you know the Jewish history, there's a lot of their history of where this comes from and them being set apart 
Um, they've been identified by God as, as being a, a chosen people, a holy nation. And But one of the things we need to remember that um, when the, the Jewish people received this blessing of being God's chosen people through Abraham, it wasn't in a place of um, taking on a privilege or being above and exclusive, but it was actually God speaking to the people of, of that would become the people of Israel through Abraham and saying, through you, the world will know who I am. They will, they will see the light. They will understand who I am. And God keeps those promises and is faithful to those promises, even though the people of Israel kind of twist it and distort it. And eventually Jesus comes out of the nation of Israel. He was Jewish. And so it's recognizing that through this, there's this, though this, um, because of the oppression that the Jewish people had experienced by um, being in exile and, and even um, being enslaved in Egypt, that they had come to a place of accepting status and privilege. Some of the theologians that have studied this dynamic, um, one of them, last name Barclay, described some of this separation that existed uh, between Jew and Gentile, even once the, the temple was built, of describing how the, the, the Jews kept the Gentiles and everyone out and kept being, keeping the most inner part holy, but in that holiness, they were keeping it separate and set apart and keeping the Gentiles out. Barclay even names the fact that um, there's within the Jewish writing an attitude that um, they said the Gentiles were only just created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. Can you imagine that? Picture someone saying that today and using other races in those places and just saying, well, those people, the ones who are not us, were just created only to be fuel for the fire. Um, some of the things that they would even describe as saying, you know, if a, a Jewish boy decided to marry a Gentile girl, overcome this dynamic, or maybe the other way around, a Jewish girl marries a Gentile boy, they would have the funeral for that Jewish child as though they had died because they were saying, you are so cut off from us as a people because you've decided to be with them. So there's this dynamic that has existed for centuries in this separation of people, this alienation of keeping people apart and separate. I mean, it was, it was really sorrowful when you think about the fact that God was, was uh, continued to be faithful to the people of Israel, but through Jesus Christ was proclaiming a message that all were brought into restoration, not just with God, that the alienation, separation from God had been overcome, but calling people together to be united with one another. Um, we see even the Jewish historian uh, Josephus describing the temple and saying that there was not just a barrier between people in relationship, but this temple, the way the temple was built, that there was a an external structure, a wall that went around that was the court of the Gentiles that kept the Gentiles out and inscriptions on it that said that if anyone who was a non-Jew, a Gentile, entered into this place, it was punishable by death. And so you see there's such an intensity of separation between people. And so Paul in naming, hey, you Gentiles, I, I want to recognize that you were separate, you were apart, but now you're being brought in. You've been adopted into the family. Like he's addressing some really intense racial relations and societal separation that had existed. But at the same time, we can recognize the hope that's in this message because he's saying not only have we all been united to God through Christ Jesus, but we are being reunited to one another. Yeah. Creation started off in Genesis with us being created in perfect union with God, perfect union with 
with one another. But we see through the fall and even through the flood, there starts these separations of, and divisions within humanity that then plague us all the way to today in our culture and our attitude and how we relate to one another. And so we can see the roots of this run very, very deep. And yet Paul is naming something so powerful for us and saying, this is who you were. You are a people separate. You are a people um, set apart, not just from one another, but even from God. And now through Jesus Christ, we're being brought together. You know, previously it was only the Jewish people that um, had access to Yahweh the or Elohim, the one true God. And now through Jesus Christ, this, these barriers have been brought down. The, the barricades have been broken. Eventually the temple would actually end up being destroyed and that wall that existed was literally dismantled. And, and so it was taken away from the Jewish people. And so what Paul is saying though in here to these early Christians is recognize like Elohim or, or Yahweh, the, the God our Father, the one that is God that Lord Jesus Christ is the son of, he is a God for everyone. No longer, he's, he's no longer just for the Jews, but now for everyone. And so in this, there's this reconciling that happens. People to God, all people to God. But then what Paul is starting to name here, and we're going to see as we continue looking at these verses, is not just the reconciling to God, but the work of reconciling to one another that happens in Jesus Christ. Yeah. We're looking at this fact that this is what we once were. This is not who we are now. This is what we once were. That God overcame it all through, through Christ Jesus. That as Paul says in Ephesians, that the wall of hostility was broken. It was torn down. What Jesus Christ has done, we look at that in verses uh, 13 through 18, and this is where it comes alive. This is where freedom enters the picture. This is where unity enters the picture and peace and the hope and the, the possibility of reconciliation. Verse 13, Paul explains, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. So where is the hope? This is is where the hope is. The fact that we have been united with Christ Jesus, brought into belonging, not just for our sake as an individual, but for the sake of ourselves collectively with together, together. So in and continuing in verse 14, it says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. We need to sit and to rest in the truth and the power of what Paul is stating in Ephesians right here in verses 13 through 18, that Paul is declaring through Christ Jesus, we are united to God. Plain and simple, there is full access to God for every person. This is the power of the work of Christ Jesus where he brings everyone to the table. Everyone is welcome to the table of Christ Jesus. Jesus had come to fulfill the law and bring relationship to God through Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, it says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth 
came through Christ Jesus. Through Jesus, we have the power to experience unity within diversity. So this is not only a message of of Paul addressing the end of alienation between God and people. Paul is demanding that all people live free of the alienation and the separation that existed between them. We have to realize that from the beginning of time, humanity has been erecting barriers between ourselves from the beginning of time. If you sit quietly and say that you have not or that you do not even currently right now have erected barriers around you, that you love everyone, I have to challenge that today. I have to challenge that because honestly, in our fallen nature, it is not possible. I don't think on this side of eternity that it is possible for us to sit here and truly honestly say, I have no barriers around me. I have no walls of hostility around me. I do not withhold myself from anyone. I love everyone. I think that if any one of us were to say that, no matter how much we love Christ, no matter how much we're being transformed in Christ, it would in fact be a lie. Because the reality is, is that we still live in a fallen world and we each individually still battle sin and we still battle brokenness. Not one single one of us is completely whole and completely perfect. So hear me today. We all, myself, Pastor Brad, each of you, Every single person has to address the walls that we have erected around us. We have got to address the ways that we withhold ourselves from others, the ways that we self-protect, the ways that we withdraw. Because the reality is, is we can look at the word hostility and say, well, I don't hate anyone. I don't project that sort of um, hate or that sort of anger towards people in that way. But indifference and ignoring others, and avoiding others who are different from us, is the same thing as hostility in an outward expression. It's just hostility in an inward, subtle, manipulative, quiet way. And we all, myself included, find ourselves doing that. So the more that we depend upon Christ, that's the reality, but there is hope, right? Because you'd look at that and you would think, Well, then where is the hope? The hope is found in Christ Jesus that as we are being reconciled through Christ Jesus, he is giving us the power through the Holy Spirit as our lives are being transformed to then be reconciled to each other. That each day, if we are committed to being transformed, as Paul says, to be united with Christ Jesus, that we can make intentional efforts each day to tear down the barriers that are erected between us, to acknowledge that, okay, God, in my life, even on this very day, in what ways have I held up walls between my brother or between my sister? In what ways am I withdrawing? In what ways am I ignoring? God, help me on this day, not just not yesterday. Yesterday's in the past, and I can't deal with tomorrow just yet, but today, oh God. Would you transform me? Would you search my heart? Would you cleanse me? Would you purify me? And would you give me the power to begin to tear down the walls even today? And this just doesn't exist between race. Paul's not just addressing race because it was a religious barrier as well that was between the Jews and Gentiles. This is reflected in biases and prejudice and barriers that we place amongst ourselves is is reflected in gender. It's reflected in culture. It's reflected in socioeconomic status. It's it's, um, impacted in in ableism, in ageism. It's 
impacting us in every single area. Getting off my notes here, I gotta get back on. <laughs> so today we are talking about racism. We're calling it out and insisting that this community is going to be an anti-racist community with leaders who work on going towards being anti-racist, to work on going to tear down those barriers. But we're not just addressing racism today, we're addressing every single way that we, as people who follow Christ, should be welcoming all people to the table any way that we would erect a barrier or a wall of hostility through aggression or even through silent ignoring and indifference. We are going to call out those walls of hostility in any way, those barriers, and we're going to ask God on a daily basis, would you help us tear those down? So God is calling for unity through Christ Jesus. It's, a, again, a reconciling of one another towards each other. And we do not get to spend our time determining what we like or what we do not like about this cultural moment. Because the reality is, is that this is a spiritual moment where God is working and God is moving and the spiritual um, impact, the, the reckoning that God is doing, the shifting that's occurring, the spiritual shifting supersedes any cultural moment because God is bringing people together in unity in Christ Jesus. So we have to focus more on how God can change us individually and collectively and less on anything else that we would, we would zero in or focus on. And as Jesus calls for unity and reconciliation, it's a radical call. It's a call that um, calls us to love one another in a way that goes beyond our differences. He says to love your enemies, to turn the other cheek, to forgive over and over again. Basically, he says that you will have differences because I've made you individually and unique in the way that I have formed you in your mother's womb. But you must still know how to love one another amongst them. This passage does not simply, again, address racism or reduce it as much that, uh, so much that it would actually undermine the power of the truth that Paul speaks, because this passage is not calling us to sameness. This passage is not calling us to be a homogenous community that all look the same, that all act the same, that all talk the same, that all believe the same. This passage is calling us to unity within our diversity, within our differences, and that is hard, and that is challenging, and that is actually painful at times, because it's a calling of each of us as an individual to lay ourselves down, to pour out our life, as scripture says, to, to lay ourselves down for our friends, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. So we cannot use this passage to just simply ignore and quiet down the evils of racism. We cannot use this passage to say, well, see, we're all the same and we're all in unity. And so we just need to get along and move along. True unity comes through the saying of the hard things. It comes through the doing of the hard things. It comes through the learning of the hard things. Jesus did not avoid the pain of the cross, even though the salvation of humanity could have came without it. He had the power. But he chose to bear the sins of the world. With the woman at a well, another example, Jesus did not avoid going through Samaria because the woman would somehow hear the teachings at some point. Jesus purposefully chose to break cultural, race, and gender barriers to meet that woman, that Samaritan woman, for a divine appointment to change her life and then to send her on the way to be on mission for him. Jesus did not avoid the hard conversations or dividing confrontations, and neither should we. 
So a church like Jesus is not homogenous. A church like Jesus is not one that continues to oppress people. A church like Jesus is not one who avoids the hard and just tries to keep the peace and stay quiet and just keep moving along so we can all be okay. A church like Jesus enters into the new family of God. Peter Scazzaro says it like this. I love it. Peter Scazzaro, in talking about this passage, he says, Jesus calls us into a new international, interrelational, uh, interracial family of God, where we are all unique, we are all different, and we celebrate those differences. And the uniqueness, we can exist in the differences and exist in the uniqueness and unity because the blood of Christ Jesus, the love of God, beautifully brings us together in this tapestry of diversity with Christ at the center. So Jesus has set us up to know and receive the empowerment to live this way towards every person because we cannot do it on our own. I can't do this on my own. I have got to be on my face searching the word of God, searching the heart of God, hearing his voice, correcting and being willing to own when I've gotten it wrong. And we each need to do the same thing. Paul said it clearly, our hostility toward one another was put to death, which means we have got to be on mission to continue to live that out in our lives. This has been a struggle for the church throughout the centuries. And it's what we're seeing in the scriptures here is Paul naming it between Jew and Gentile. And really it's this idea of one people, a group against a collective um, diverse group of other people. But what Paul is naming here also is the power of not just the hostility that was ended between Jew and Gentile, but he's saying the power of, of Christ Jesus destroys any hostility or separation between, between all people. And so then the challenge is, are we going to live out of that because of the work that Christ Jesus has done? And Paul, he explains it. He says, now all can come freely to the Father. All have this place of, of equal access, of, of uh, equality and, and ability to come to the Father equally. And so are we going to relate to one another in that same way? Are we going to live out of our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ and, and deal with those places yeah. of sin that are within us and allow Christ Jesus to actually defeat this place of hostility and indifference toward one another that rests within, within our hearts and uh, allow the fact that as we come to the Father, our vision begins to change the way that we see our the way that we see one another and understand that we see each other as brother and sister. Yeah. Not just looking like a, an actual biologically fa biological family that all kind of look the same, but actually understanding that in the diversity, we are still brothers and sisters. And it's beautiful. That's what Paul is talking about here. We see in scripture, um, and I've seen it in my own life, that the more that we are willing to allow God to love us as an individual, the, so let me put it this way, the more that I'm willing to allow God to love me, the more that I'm willing to allow God to uh, bring me in into belonging, the more that I'm willing to own the fact that I need God, um, that I don't have it all figured out on my own, the more that I'm willing to acknowledge the ways that I mess up on a regular basis, not this, this like way of looking at ourselves like, oh, I'm such a uh, uh, depraved human being that is in such need. It, it's not about that. It's about the fact that I look at the fact that myself, that I am imperfect, that I am in need of God, and that in God, through Christ Jesus, I have an invitation to belong. So the more that I can accept the belonging of Christ Jesus for myself, the more that I can come home and be at home with the Father and receive the love of God 
this is the power, is that the more that that happens, the more that I am actually then empowered and equipped to be able to extend that same love and that same belonging to others. That's why it first has to start with us as an individual. Sometimes people will ask the question, well, isn't, isn't faith in Jesus enough to be able to just make me reconciled with everyone else? Like, you know, I'll read the Bible, I'll believe in Jesus, and, and that should be enough, right? I've been reconciled with God and to one another. And, and the truth is, um, in, in one way, yes, it is. Faith in Jesus is enough. But the faith in Jesus actually takes daily work to live that out. We've been empowered through Christ Jesus to be able to experience a new life, like right here and now. Like through Jesus Christ, we've experienced that. And yet we have the responsibility to do the hard work and to do it daily to experience this transformation that comes from God through Christ Jesus. It's the work of Jesus Christ that was done and complete at the cross. You know, sin sin was abolished. We have free freedom in Christ, but we still have to live in a place where we're going to live with boldness and confidence in the cross of Christ Jesus and the new life, the new resurrection that comes from Christ Jesus. But then in living in that place, we have to live uh, with an attitude of willingness to choose to have Christ Jesus continue to work within us. We find ourselves living sometimes in this place where there's this, this dissonance between what we know and, and, and the fact that we love Jesus, we have faith in Jesus, and yet we, we can still know that there are attitudes and ways of relating to others that express this hostility or this resistance, this rejection of our brother or sister rather than living in this divine unity that comes from Christ Jesus. Sometimes it comes in even more subtle ways that are ways of, of self-protecting. It's like avoiding those who are, who are different from us or um, the people that you know make us, make us uncomfortable. And maybe we're not even really willing to just sit with those feelings and recognize that we have those feelings. So it may not be about just the fact that we outright hate somebody or we reject someone, but recognizing that we have this place where um, we feel indifference toward them, like Pastor Kristen is named, or we feel this place of, of just discomfort, dis-ease, you know, even asking ourselves, like, how how do you feel in relating to another group of people if, if your child, your son, or your daughter said they wanted to start dating or marrying somebody of another people group, another um, another race, another social class, you know, what, how, what does that bring up in you? Like, those things of recognizing recognizing that, okay, wait a minute, we need to slow down and realize there is real and deep work that needs to be done. And it doesn't undermine the grace and the truth that, that Christ Jesus brings to our life. But what it does is it allows us to live freely in Him when we're willing to allow the work of the Holy Spirit to enter our lives, rather than living in this place that's kind of stunted, that distorts the work of God in us. So how can we continue to um, grow in faith and be reconciled to one another when we are withholding ourselves from others because of differences. This is something that um, we, we need to be able to recognize. We need to be able to acknowledge. And so many times we, we look for the overt ways that we do this in our life. You know, the ways that, oh, I shouldn't have uh, yelled at that person in that way, or I shouldn't have treated my family in that way, or I shouldn't have said those unkind words. And, and those, all of those things are important or the relationships we've cut off, you know, um, those things are important to address the overt ways, but we also need to be so careful and we can only do this 
through the power of the Holy Spirit to address the, again, those subtle, um, quiet ways that, that we pull away from people who are different from us. The reality is, and this is one of the most beautiful answers to prayer that we have at Essence Place. You know, God at the beginning, before Essence Place ever fully existed, God put on Pastor Brad and I's heart that this would be a community that built bridges to one another in all differences that we envisioned. We had this like picture in our mind of people from every race, from every culture, from every ethnicity, from every socioeconomic status, from every even faith practice and even religious belief and lifestyle would be standing next to one another in a community of faith, worshiping God together and working out their differences together and growing in faith and being transformed and, and being forgiven of sin and being um, cleansed and being becoming more right in what right relationship through Christ Jesus and, and learning to belong more to Christ Jesus and then being collectively belonging to one another in community. This was a vision that we could literally see it play out like a picture in our mind. We have journals that we wrote and prayers that we prayed and conversations that we had. And God has been so faithful to answer that prayer that if you were to sit and I know we know all of your stories probably more than you know each other's stories because we're engaged in every single, most of every single person's life. But we have people from every background imaginable with so many differences. There's so much diversity and so much difference that's represented in our community. And, it, and I'm, we're not just talking about ethnicity and culture. We're talking about also in socioeconomic status. We're talking about in profession and career. We're talking about in regards to, again, faith practice, um, how people worship versus how these other people worship, how people view God versus how these people view God, how you know people are working out their, their, their um, faith with God. We're all in different places in our journey. And it's a beautiful thing. We actually celebrate those differences. We celebrate those differences because we see the beauty of God in, in his creation in all of those differences. But the reality is, is that we need an inward transforming um, discipleship uh, and, and faith, inward transforming discipleship and faith that changes us, us from the inside out, that we can actually learn how to truly love one another and care for one another and be in community with one another amongst all of our differences, where we're not in any way demanding people um, change or be like us for us to be in relationship or in community or worshiping alongside each other. Here, I want to give you one more example before we move to the, the last few verses here. But we see in, a, in another place where Paul is writing to the early church in the book of Galatians or the letter to the church in Galatians that um, he describes it this way, the same idea of this unifying work that Jesus has done through himself. In Galatians chapter 3, he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then he describes it this way. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now what Paul's naming here isn't the fact that there's a deleting of identities. It doesn't mean that 
male or female doesn't exist anymore, or if you were, you know, Jewish or Gentile, those things don't exist anymore. But what he's naming here is that when you have come into Christ Jesus, you have, you have taken on Christ Jesus, you have clothed yourself with Christ Jesus. So the starting point of anything in the understanding of your identity is first found Mm -hmm. in Christ Jesus. Any other part of your identity and your understanding of who you are, it, it falls lower on the list of priority below the place of being clothed, of being in Christ Jesus. And so then what's beautiful about that is as that starts to permeate who we are, as that starts to transform who we are, what people then experience of us, like their way of encountering us, of experiencing us, is first as a person who is clothed in Christ Jesus, a person who is in Christ Jesus. And so we have to get this, that if we are going to be people who are in Christ Jesus, we can no longer deal with one another out of, like Paul names this place of hostility, a place of, of comparison, you know, acceptance, rejection, or a place of, of holding off, of, of indifference, but actually coming to a place that we give way to the work of the Holy Spirit that then empowers us to take on the attitude of Christ, to clothe ourselves in the attitude of Christ that embodies grace and truth and and brings us to a place of true humility, a place of of true acceptance and and love and kindness toward others that is expressed as Christ Jesus was, one that was full of grace and truth. Mm -hmm. This is so difficult to grasp. So difficult. And in transparency, we both have struggled with this through our entire walk with Christ. And it's not, you know, it's not because we're weak or we are weak, I guess, in some ways, but it's not because um, we can't just get it figured out or we can't, we're, we're unwilling to do it the way that God wants to do. It's just the reality is that in our human nature, it's like we're wired in our DNA, again, from the beginning of time to push back against um, people who are different from us or things that we, that don't make sense to us or, or to, to, um, push and fight for control, um, to keep ourselves safe and, and to protect ourselves so that, um, there's no threat of harm or no threat of, of pain. Our culture has shaped and molded us to, to avoid any sort of threat of harm or pain in any kind of way. And so that puts us in a place where we do resist because the reality is, is that for this work to occur, this truly reconciling to one another um, to work is that we do have to experience pain. We have to experience challenge. We have to um, experience tension and the working out of our faith, not just with God, but our faith with God, with one another in community together. And so we do have hope. We can be filled with hope and filled with expectation because God has promised us that we are not doing it in and of our own strength, that we are not doing it in and of our own power, that we are doing it through the power of the blood of Christ Jesus. That as the the word says that when we come into relationship with Christ Jesus, we are brought into the new family of God. That's the third point in this is that what we have now become, This is what we have now become, is that we have been brought into the new family of Christ Jesus. And we talked about that. I encourage you to go back to some of our previous uh, sermons when we were talking about emotionally healthy spirituality. We were talking about what it meant to love others well, because we talked about what it meant to be brought into the new family of God. Whereas uh, Pastor Brad said, our identity comes... um, into a relationship and is transformed and being understood through Christ Jesus. So everything, 
everything else comes under submission to that, under the authority of Christ Jesus. One of the things in this last point, when we see uh, number three, you know, what we have become now, Paul starts to give us this really beautiful word picture of, of what this looks like as it begins to be worked out. Look at these verses with me, the last few verses in chapter two, verse 19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers or foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And then he uses this picture, together we are his house. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Paul names it here. He says, we are God's house. We're the place for the spirit of God to live. And that is, that is within us, the collective, the church. And this is such beautiful imagery. And I get really excited about this because this is that place where hope starts to enter the picture, where, where um, the light of God and hope kind of floods in because it says that we have been designed and purposed to be the house of God. Each brick, if you think of each one of us being a brick that builds the house, those bricks are stacked together and joined together with the cornerstone being in Christ Jesus. Yeah. I've heard it said, especially during this season of COVID, that the church isn't the building. What's the church? You can probably finish it with me. The church is the people. We are the church. But sometimes I think we can get the, the image in our mind that like, well, if we are the church, then I'm just going to be the church over here by myself and you're the church over there and you're the church over there. But that's not how it works. Paul's pointing to this, that the house of God, each, each stone that's been laid together comes together to be the house of God. It's us collectively together. And that foundation is what? The foundation is the, the apostles is teaching, but the cornerstone that holds it all together is Christ Jesus. And let me describe to you what this house is, what the, what this church is, what the collective is, not just Essence Place Church, but what the church, all of us together should be. This house, this house is a place of refuge and safety for the hurting. It's a place of healing for the broken. It's a place for those who are in the storms of life to come in and find a place to heal, to be, to be safe, to be cared cared for. It's a home for the young to be able to learn alongside the, those who are older, to share the wisdom and imparted from years of, of wisdom and experience that gives care. It's a house that's built to be like that lighthouse in the storm that guides the ship home. This is what Paul is talking about. So it's like this challenge that he was giving. It's, it's encouragement, it's hope, but it comes with this, this challenge for us of, are we going to live this out? We've talked about this uh, in Essence Place or at Essence Place, this idea of home that scripture does use so often the language of the family of God, the language of being adopted as children, um, and then the language of being at home with the Father. We see that played out all throughout scripture. And that's what this is talking about is that we, we become a home and a house um, that dwells with God, with the living God through Christ Jesus. And this house that is built and that we're dwelling in, um, it also provides a place where we can in, in safety and in love and belonging be 
transformed, not for the sake of just ourselves, though we can experience more joy and peace of right living and right attitudes and right loving, but we are being transformed for the sake of others. And we are being transformed so that as Jesus prays in John chapter seven, that we would be one as he is one with the father and that we would be the revealed expression of Christ's love to the world. That is what it means to dwell at home, to be brought into the household of God, to live within the family of God is that we are every day learning and, and, and growing and being transformed to better bear the love of Christ and better bear the name of Jesus. And we are challenged by that more than ever before, but I truly believe that God is calling and raising up a remnant of people that will be his hands extended, not just talk about it as we have for so long, but truly be his love and his light to the world to represent and express what it means to belong, unconditionally belong, unconditionally be accepted, unconditionally be brought together at the table of Christ Jesus, not so that we expect people to wash our, wash themselves up before they come to the table because Jesus didn't expect his disciples to wash themselves up before they came to the table. Jesus knelt down and he washed the disciples. They came as they were. They came as who they were and all the mess that they represented. And then Jesus knelt down and he washed their feet and he served them and he humbled himself before them. And that is the calling, the vocation, if you will, the mission that we're on is to be Christ Jesus to the world, to bend down and wash the feet of those who might betray us. <laughs> That's difficult to bend down and wash the feet of those who might reject us to bend down and wash the feet of those who doubt us, who don't believe in us, to bend down and wash the feet who in one moment say they love us and in the next moment when our back is turned, they deny us. Those were just some of the people that were represented sitting at that table of Christ Jesus before they broke bread and they took the cup right before Jesus went to the cross. And that is the calling that he calls us to is to bend down and wash the feet of even those people. That is a difficult and a challenging call. One that should bring us to our knees. It brings me to my knees, honestly, almost every day because I get so caught up in what I want. I get so caught up in the way that I want it. And I get so caught up in being fearful of what other people think or being fearful of how others will reject me or being fearful of how others will turn against me. And then God calls me back home and he calls you back home. And he says, when you're at home with me, Henry Now, I love the way Henry Nouwen says, is one of my favorite authors. It says, when we're away from the home of God, I'm paraphrasing it. When we're away from the home of God, we will get caught up in the power and manipulating games of this world, which is to prove ourselves to the world, which is to control everything and which is to protect what we have and to expect if we're going to give something, we're going to get it in return. But that's not the home of Christ and that's not the household of God. 
So God calls us back home to be separate from the world, to be in the world, but not of the world, to not be shaped or formed by the world, but to be shaped and formed as adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God that live within the family of God, that live within the house and the home of God and the safety and the belonging and acceptance and love of God so that we may be transformed into greater image bearers of God for the sake of others. One of the things that Paul talks about here is the fact that he, he says that we are citizens of, of God's family or God's like members, um, that we're no longer strangers, foreigners, but that you know we've been brought into the holy family. But as people who are a part of that family, there's real work for us to do. We're going to even see in next week as we, or next Sunday, as we get into chapter three, where Paul describes his own responsibility, this place of, of being enslaved for Christ, but not himself being a slave, but it actually being on behalf of others, to serve others as Christ Jesus has called him into that. And it's a, it's a powerful example as Paul continues and kind of carries this thought into the next chapter. One of the main ideas that we see in, in Ephesians is just the fact that a healthy community is made up of different kinds of people. We've talked about that, of what Ephesus looked like and the diversity that was there and how Paul is preaching this message of radical, radical unity that comes in Christ Jesus, that's countercultural, and that in preaching it and writing it in his letter, he's actually naming something that there can be hope found in Christ Jesus. It's not a, a far off thought, but it's something that's being worked out right now, understanding that the church is not homogenous. It doesn't all look the same, but the fact that it's the, the church of Jesus Christ that, that comes together and has unity in their experience of Christ Jesus. One of the things we have to ask ourselves today and, and kind of come to this place is um, evaluating with the work of the Holy Spirit and say, you know, who do I need to be welcoming into the family of God and into my own life, into my own sphere of, of influence? Like, who do I need to work alongside uh, to, to have better understanding, to even examine our own sphere of relationships, those closest to us, and, and ask ourselves, is it made up of people that mostly kind of look the same? think the same, talk the same, dress the same? Um, or, you know, is it, does it have some diversity? Because if everybody kind of looks the same, there may be some walls that we've built around ourselves, those places of, of separation. And this is not just in the, in the out there community, but even to ask ourselves within our own church, within our own faith community, uh, in the relationships that we've developed, have we been willing to truly enter into relationships with people who may not look the same? act the same, think the same, have the same experience, but come to those places of recognizing that, again, through the example of Christ Jesus, as he, he gave himself to the place of death and then a new life through that, he was bringing down the walls that separated people from God, you know, people from himself, but also that separate people from one another, the, the, the walls that create enemies between people with differences, that, that say there's exclusion, there's, there's a holding off, a separateness, and realizing that a healthy church, what we're praying for our church to be, is a church that reaches across those barriers, that builds those bridges, and establishes real, true, Christ-like relationships. Paul addresses the, re the reconciliation of ourselves as individuals to Christ Jesus first because it has to come from that place first because we, as we've said before, we do not have 
the power in and of ourselves, no matter how much tenacity we have, no matter um, how much self-awareness we have, um, no matter you know how much work we do on our own, we actually, in fact, do not have the power to love other people well, to accept people unconditionally. It's through the power of God, through Christ Jesus, accepting us unconditionally, loving us unconditionally, offering, again, belonging unconditionally, that we are then free. We are free to love others. We are free to withhold from no one. We are free to give generously and serve generously and love generously. And then we have the capacity in, the, in our transformation that we are able to place the necessary boundaries we need and all of those kinds of things. But we are free to love and we are free to give and we are free to serve. And that can only be done through the power of Christ Jesus. And it can only truly, we believe, be done through that deep inward transformation that addresses every area of our lives every area of our family of origin and the impact of how that has shaped us and molded us, the impact of our culture of origin and how that has shaped and molded us, the impact of our religious origins or the, the faith origins that we have that have shaped and molded us in all those areas where there's good, but there's also unhealthy and, and negative ways that it has shaped us. And then we live those ways out to those around us. And so we've got to address those hard areas. We've got to go, we've got to recognize, as we've talked about before, of that addressing how the past informs and, and shapes and impacts the present and address those things. And as we identify those things, there is a freeing power. The Bible says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That's not just the truth of Christ Jesus. It's the truth of Christ Jesus and the work of the cross of Christ Jesus and the life that he gives us first, but then there's other truth and there's other knowledge and, and awareness building that we need to have through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we talk about that all the time at Essence Place. Um, you know, there are, th there are sermons and, and other things that we have given you to help you tools. And then we're here to help you walk through that as we are walking through this as well. And in this final, we're closing this out because we want to pray with you. Um, and we do want to challenge you because, and then as we look at to next, next week at Ephesians chapter three, I mean, that is where we're really looking at the hope of, of Christ Jesus, the, the one who does immeasurably more than we can imagine. The one who um, tells us that one of our verses we've talked about here, one of my favorite verses is that your roots will grow down deep and you will have the power to understand the surpassing knowledge of how great and how wide and how deep God's love is for you when your roots grow down deep in Christ and when you have come home with the Father. But again, we've talked about this one. For our roots to grow down deep, we've got to dig up the unhealthy roots. And so there's work to be done in all of us. And some of those areas of work, um, you know, maybe it's areas of fear that is so often um, a place that drives our behavior towards people and our behavior towards culture and our behavior towards um, other ethnicities even and, and our behavior towards people that maybe don't believe uh, religiously or faith-wise the same way that we do. There's this fear inside of us which leads to control and wanting to control our environment and wanting to control what impacts us or, or what um, affects us. Or maybe it's um, comparison, again, a, a constant comparing of what others have that we don't have, a constant feeling like we need to prove ourselves or a need to, to measure up to some invisible standard that we can't ever seem to reach. Fear and control and comparison and, and so many other of these types of areas of roots 
can put us in a place of resentment towards other people and people groups. It can lead to a place of self-protection where we withdraw and we ignore and we become indifferent again to other people that are not like us um, or people that we feel like what they believe or how they live will threaten us or threaten to undo the safe insulation that we have built up. But again, we're talking about Ephesians chapter two at the end where he says we are brought into reconciliation, not through, uh, not just through Christ Jesus as, as ourselves individually, but we are brought into reconciliation where the wall of hostility has been torn down. We are brought into unity together in Christ Jesus. So what are the areas? That's a question we're inviting you to ask. What are the areas that are present in your heart, the roots or even places that you've, I mean, in my life, there are areas I've addressed with God over and over again, and they still come up at times. It's like my default mode when I get stressed or when I get worried or when I'm, I'm you know, battling, uh, you know, fear and all of those kinds of things and uncertain um, and unknown of the future. It's like default that I go into these places and God has to say, like, I know we've worked through this before, but we're going to work through it again together because it's causing you to withdraw from people. God's been working in my heart and my spirit. So in what ways is he working in yours? What is he speaking to you about? And what is he talking to you about in your life? And then the other piece that we want to pray for you today is what are you filling your mind and your heart and your spirit with? Who are you surrounding yourself with? Because this is really important right now, especially because we are still insulated and, and socially distanced in a lot of ways and physically separated. What sermons are you listening to? What pastors are you listening to? It's okay that you're listening to ones beyond us. We listen to other pastors all the time. What theology are you filling your heart with? What views of scripture? And then what media are, is, are you watching? Because if you are filling your heart and your mind and your spirit and your ears with people who are sarcastic all the time, people who use insults to make, to, to make their point, people who cut others down. If you are listening to people or watching media, news outlets that use mocking or crass humor, speak condemnation and judgment, or any communication that is dehumanizing others, or breaking down the image of God that each person bears, you gotta turn it off. You've gotta turn it off. You've gotta turn away from it. Because when we fill our minds with those things and our hearts and our ears and our spirits, it goes down deep. And it's like watering the root of the weed to where those weeds in our own life and we will speak sarcastically and we will speak in mocking ways and we will speak in crass ways and we will condemn and we will judge and we will point fingers and all the while we are separating ourselves from one another. God help us. My prayer is God help me. And my prayer is God help my family in my marriage with my kids and then God help our community to be your love extended in the way that we speak, in the way that we talk, in the way that we live, in the way that we love, in the way that we walk. So can we pray for you today? We want to pray for you. Let's pray together now. Holy Spirit, as we pause, I, I have to believe that you are moving and, and you are working in our hearts and our spirits. Yes. Um, there is such a, a multitude of different ways that you can be speaking to us now. 
And so, Lord, while we can't pray specifically to every area and every need that each one of us may be experiencing, I know, God, that you see it and that, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you give us the ability to trust your work of of uprooting those things from our lives, of breaking patterns and habits and ways of living that maybe have been there for years, of beginning to address things in our own lives that are those, those symbolic walls of hostility that separate us from people that you have created. People that you, Jesus, name are our brothers and sisters. I pray, God, that you bring us to a place of of finding true repentance with you, of acknowledging the places where, where sin has still been residing within our lives, where we've lived out of a place of an unwillingness to address certain things in our lives, of, of almost making it off limits to you, where we've put up walls of separation to you and saying, God, that, that these areas are, are off limits to what you could transform, what you could renew, what you could make new. I pray, God, that you would give us the ability to release our grip and our hold on on anything that is not you, anything that's of this world, and that, God, you would bring us to a place of understanding that we are freely and fully yours. God, that you've created us and made us to be a brick that is held together, uh, that, that forms your house, as Paul describes. That, Christ Jesus, you are the cornerstone of not just the cornerstone of our lives individually, but collectively of what you are building that represents a, a place of shelter and refuge and safety for those who are so in need. I pray, God, that as you continue to work in us, you will remind us, God, that perfect love casts out all fear. God, that you would bring us to a place of releasing the need to have control, of releasing our need to to prove ourselves or prove our worth in comparison to others, that you would bring us to a place of submission to you. And as as Paul wrote, to, to clothe ourselves in Christ so that the very first thing that anyone sees or understands and knows of us is that we are yours. God, I believe it and I pray it in in faith, knowing, Jesus, that you will continue to work in us. God, that you will continue it and you would carry it on in our lives till we breathe our very last breath in this world. God, we pray all of this in the wonderful and powerful name of Christ Jesus. Amen.